0: Is it possible to be a Christian and not have enemies? (laughs) Let's think about that for a second. This is like, put this in the idea of, if you perfectly loved like Jesus loved, would there be anybody on the planet who would have any animosity towards you? Is it possible to be a Christian today ...and not be disliked by somebody. I feel like a lot of us as Christians are trying to live that way. As though if we just loved like Jesus loved... ...no one would dislike us. It's not possible. Spoiler alert. So the question is... ...how does a Christian respond? And that's what Jesus is going to unpack for us in our text today... In Luke chapter 6, Jesus has been talking about this kingdom that he's bringing. A kingdom that proclaims good news to the poor, that sets at liberty those who are held captive, that brings justice and proclaims favor, that restores sight to the blind. You're going to see so many of things in which demonstrate the kingdom coming upon people's lives. And one of them is this kingdom ethic in which we call the upside-down kingdom. When, When a new administration comes in, They set out what their administration is going to do, what they're going to be like, who they're going to be for. And Jesus has has inaugurated this in some sense. And now he's beginning to explain more and more of it in this sermon. Sermon on the plain, as it's referred to in the Gospel of Luke. Or perhaps the same sermon given that Matthew records in chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. And so here we're going to look at how Luke captures this teaching of Jesus. Of how the people of the kingdom respond... To people who are hostile to them, who attack them, who slander them, belittle them, rob them, mistreat them, which will be completely different, completely different than how the world responds to its enemies. So you've got your Bible, grab it, and we're going to Luke chapter 5. What happens when we make enemies? You know, in the last couple of years, battle lines have been drawn, have they not? Like we have lost friends, there's been division in families, I've watched marriages fall apart because we have divided our world as for us or against us. And perhaps we haven't responded as people of the kingdom. And so today I want to just walk through what is the kingdom's response when someone really dislikes you. So chapter 5. Sorry, chapter 6. Sorry, I said chapter 5. That's Matthew. Chapter 6, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So the first thing out of Jesus' mouth to describe the kingdom ethic is blessing. And what he's going to describe is a kind of person. This isn't for individuals, but this is a kind of person in which the kingdom blesses. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Those who have nothing, who can't earn it, they have no merit that deserves it, they come bankrupt to it. Blessed are you, yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. See, the world would say all of those things describe people who God hasn't blessed. Like, if you don't have material goods, God hasn't blessed you. God has really blessed those with material goods. If you're hungry, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, God's blessing is not on you. If you're sad and you're filled with grief and sorrow in your life, and hardship has come upon you, well, then that's a sign that God has removed blessing from your life. And in fact, Jesus comes and says just the opposite. Just the opposite. If if you're aware of your poverty and you're hungry... And your life is filled with grief and sorrow. To you is the kingdom of God. Blessed is is you. And then he says to this, blessed are you when people hate you. Exclude you. They put you on the outside of their community. Not, Not because of something you did, but because of my name. Now that's very important. It says that on account of the Son of Man, this is their response to you. Now a lot of Christians are hated not because, of the son, not because they claim to be Christians or act as Christians, but because they're jerks. And that's not a good reason to be hated. But if you're standing up for the things of the kingdom, and you're standing up for the teachings of Jesus, and people slander you, hate you, exclude you, revile you, because you're connected to Jesus... He says rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. This is how the people of God treated the prophets who came to them. The prophets are the messengers of God who spoke the message of God to the people of God and they were rejected, excluded, hated. What Jesus is saying is if you're truly a follower of mine and you're going to speak up the message of the kingdom, as a true, real, authentic prophet, you're going to be hated. It's not possible otherwise. In fact, if they don't, we're going to see, they'll love you for it. And that shows you're a false prophet. So check this out. Verse 24. But woe. So this is the mercies of the kingdom. And now we have the judgments of the kingdom. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You see these two groups of people? One in who the kingdom is blessing. Poor, hungry, those who weep, and those who are excluded. Contrasted with just the opposites. Those who are rich, full, filled with laughter, and who everyone speaks well of. Now, if we were to evaluate in our culture today which person our world would say is blessed, who would it be? Would it not be the second one? Look at how wealthy they are. Look Look how filled with laughter their life is. Look how... How filled their pantries are. Look, they have everything they possibly want. It's like they have no needs. Just abundance upon abundance and abundance. And everybody, everybody loves them. Jesus says, yeah, that's how they treated false prophets. False prophets. Those who were pretending to have a message from God. But the genuine article is often rejected and despised. And so I might just ask you who in your life would be your enemy. Who is someone in your life that has mistreated you? Who has slandered you? Who's ridiculed you? Who's robbed you? Who is that? Because once we have someone in our mind as that's my enemy, this is what the world normally does is we begin to first weaponize our words against our enemy, do we not? How we speak about these people. And then after we've weaponized our words, we degrade their humanity. And so we start labeling them with slurs as opposed to their proper names. We categorize them as groups. Call them bigots, phobic, whatever. Now they've no longer been seen as the imago Dei, the image of God. They're just a group of people in which we oppose And then from there, we actually build walls to defend our ground against our enemies. And then from there, we operate as fearful people. We're afraid of them. That's what happens when you make someone your enemy, is you weaponize your words, we degrade their humanity, we defend our ground, and we actually live in fear of them. Is that the ethic of the kingdom? Is that how the people of the kingdom are to live today? And the answer is no. And so Jesus gives one of the hardest teachings he ever gives about enemy love. How How do people of the kingdom respond when they're mistreated that way? So here's Jesus. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. There's three things here. Is that our love is very actionable. See, love can't just be love. It has to have some substance to it. And so here, what's described is real, sacrificial, self-denying, others-exalting love. This is the definition of kingdom love. Look at this. That you would do good to those who hate you. That's action. You would take action to those who have mistreated you, who hate you, and actually try to do good in their life. That's amazing. You would actually try to do good in their life so that they would be benefited. And then it says, bless those who curse you. That blessing is with words. How we speak about an enemy. We want to speak blessing to them. Encouragement to them. Lift them up. Not return slander for slander, insult for insult. And so we're actually doing good, and then in our words we're speaking blessing. And then check this out, it says, pray for those who've abused you. Like, you're you're, you're totally right, they have wronged you. In a court of law, absolutely, guilty as charged. What we should do in response is lift them up to the Father. Who in in your mind do you think of that has really mistreated you this way? Have you been praying for them? I mean, here's the thing. I have a hard time praying for my, my enemies. People who have insulted me, hurt me, hate me. Because when I start praying for them, what happens? Is I start wanting good for them. And I'm trying to harbor and hold on to how I've been hurt. And so praying for them is actually the practice of forgiving them, releasing them. And turning them over to God, asking God, God, you have your way with them. And I'm asking that you would convict them, change them, bless them. I pray good on their life, Lord. Pray for those who abuse you. And then he unpacks this teaching that maybe you're familiar with, 29. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Like, how do people of the kingdom treat enemies? Well, When they slap you on the cheek. This is not actually physical violence. This is the idea of a backhanded compliment, right? It's an insult. When they insult you, turn the other cheek. Now, some people take this as, well, this is the the teaching of passivity. That they just steamroll you as a Christian. You just got to take it. That's not what Jesus is saying. See, he he says, if they strike you on the cheek, if they insult you, if you were just to be passive and just keep taking it, you would never turn the other cheek. You would just stand in the same position, and they would continue to insult you over and over again with no response from you. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's also not saying, well, then what you should do is strike them back. That's one way people get back at people, is they don't turn the other cheek. They're not going to stand there and take it, and so they're going to strike somebody. Jesus says, don't do that either. What do you do? You turn the other cheek. What is that? That's an act of protest. See, if they're going to insult us as Christians because we belong to Jesus, turning the other cheek is to stand up tall and have courage to say, I've heard your insult of me, and this is my act of protest to you. It's like turning the relationship to actually have another opportunity to engage with your offender. The one who has just ridiculed you. It's a potential to even restart the relationship. And so turning the other cheek is an act of protest against their insult. But by standing strong and saying, no, see, the way you speak of me is not how, is not what I identify myself. It is by what God says of me. And so I reject your insult and I turn the other cheek perhaps to start the relationship afresh. It's been said, perhaps you turn the other cheek, not that they would strike it again, but perhaps they'd be convicted and they'd kiss your cheek instead. That's what the essence of, t- of Jesus' teachings is. It's not this passivity in which you just get steamrolled. It is the proper response of love to those who are attacking you, who hurt you, who insults you. Even those who rob you, look at this, if they take your cloak from you, give them the tunic. Well, the cloak was this outer garment. It was, most people probably only had one of them. This is also doubled as a poor person's bedding at night. And so it was even illegal to hold someone's cloak overnight lest you leave their life viable, or you're liable for what happens for them freezing to death at night. And so you could never take someone's cloak. But if someone's going to rob you of your cloak, Christian... This is, this, this is the protest. Give them your tunic, too. It's like you're just displaying in this audacious display of generosity. You're almost ridiculing them. You're shaming them because of your kindness. Like, just take it all. Just take it all. You're embarrassing them, almost, in what they've done to you. I remember being in Mexico. We were building some houses. And Gary and I would be taking teams down pretty much annually. And there was a pastor we worked with by the name of Hector. And Hector just embodied this Christ-like love on so many levels. But I remember one day, we had pulled up to the job site. It was downtown in Mexico. And one of the students that we were working with yelled at Hector, Pastor Hector, that man right there just stole a saw out of the back of your truck. He just grabbed it and he started running down the street. And so Hector ran after him. And then Hector came back and we said, what happened? Like, did, did you get your saw back? He said, oh, no, no. I just wanted to make sure that he had the blades that went with the saw. <laughs> I'm like, what? Are you insane? Like, you know how expensive it is? You know how hard it is? You have no money for these tools. What are you doing? He said, you know, he, he, he needed it more than me. And so I wanted to make sure that he knew that he couldn't steal it from me, but that I was giving it to him. And there were blades in the truck that went with the saw that I wanted him to have as well. Where does that kind of love come from? It's kingdom ethic, it's upside down living. This is what true love looks like. Now, Jesus is unpacking this for his believers. So, the whole principle here, this golden rule, is treat others as you would want to be treated. See, the world treats others as they have been treated. You see the difference? So if you treat me really, really well, what what am I going to do? Treat you really, really well. And if you mistreat me, how am I going to respond? I'm going to mistreat you. The kingdom ethic is not treat people as they've treated you, but treat them, as we'll see, as your heavenly Father has treated you. So let's, let's continue to look at this. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Like that's... Everybody does that. What kingdom benefit is that? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But kingdom people. This is the upside down kingdom that we belong to. But kingdom people, love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons or or children, sons and daughters of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And here's verse 36. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Do you know what the difference between mercy and grace is? They kind of get convoluted, don't they? This is a conversation I remember as a as a young high school kid having with my aunt, and my aunt told me there's a difference between mercy and grace. Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Like someone just is just lavishing generosity on you. Wow, I can't believe you're so good to me. I don't I don't deserve this kind of affection. Mercy, though, is not getting what you do deserve. So, this would be the appropriate response, and not getting that appropriate response. What you do deserve, that's mercy. And so, when you're guilty and when you should be held responsible, you're crying out for someone to be merciful to you. And what do you say about God? Is be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So, God in heaven is a merciful God to those who are unjust, those who are unkind. He gives them. Mercy, what they do not deserve. So the world says, How you've treated me, I will treat you. I will treat you the same way you deserve to be treated based on how you have treated me. And here Jesus says, No, that's not how the kingdom works, though. The kingdom ethic is this regardless of how they've treated you, regardless if they can repay you, be merciful. Treat them in a way that they do not deserve. Now, now religious people have really struggled with this. And people in the Bible have really struggled with this. The prophet Jonah is a great example of someone who was commissioned by God to do a mission. And struggled with the mercy of God. He was sent to to Nineveh, a, a, a country that had raped and pillaged and plundered his own. And he was there to go proclaim the destruction that God would bring. His judgment that he was going to bring on Nineveh. And Jonah just ran the other way. And, and you teach this in Sunday school as though Jonah was scared to, because the Ninevites, they were dangerous. They might cause him harm. That's not why Jonah didn't want to go. No, Jonah finally goes and he proclaims the message. And the Ninevites Repent. They seek God's forgiveness. And God relents on bringing his judgment. And Jonah, Jonah, man, Jonah is ticked. He's so mad. This is what Jonah says. This is Jonah chapter 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran. That is why I made haste to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The reason I didn't want to go tell them that judgment was coming unless they repent is because I know if they would turn to you, you are merciful, and I don't want mercy for them. And here Jesus is saying, no, this is the kingdom ethic is your heavenly Father's merciful, not giving what people deserve. And your children, your sons and daughters of the kingdom, and how we live is like our Father in heaven. The, The way we treat others is the way our Father in heaven has treated us. And Jesus goes and lives this whole kingdom ethic out to model for his disciples the way people of the kingdom live in the world when the world hates them. Jesus tells you, you cannot be one of my disciples. The world hated me first, they're going to hate you. No one who desires to live a godly life will escape persecution. It's just not possible. So then therefore, how do we respond? We respond as kingdom people. Loving the world as the Father has first loved us. Jesus displays this enemy love so perfectly on the cross. This is chapter, this is in Luke here. At the very end, while he's on the cross, where he cries out to his Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, they're crucifying Jesus, putting him to death. They see Jesus as their enemy. And how does he respond? Father, forgive them. Remember what he say. pray for those who abuse you. He's praying for them. Father, would you be merciful to them? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is how we have love for our enemies. Is we see them as God sees them as he saw us, lost. They don't know what they're doing. They're not people of the kingdom. They don't know God's ethics. They don't know God's ways. And so our heart actually breaks for them. We say, Father, forgive them. Don't let me be part of a retribution. Don't let me retaliate. Lord, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Would you open their eyes to see, their minds to see, their ears to hear of your love for them, that they would be convicted and convinced of their need for Jesus Christ. They would come to you. And so Jesus not only teaches this ethic, he then models this ethic for them, which becomes the model in which the disciples live out in the book of Acts. And so we see from the earliest disciples that this is the way they lived, even unto death. One of them is, is a man named Stephen. This is Acts chapter 6. A man named Stephen is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is so key. This is 6 verse 8. Is Stephen who is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. like There's no way to love this way without having God's love in you. I don't have Thomas' love for the world that hates me. It doesn't exist. But if I've received God's love, then I can share that love with the world that hates me. And so Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, talks about what God has accomplished to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And they hate him for it, where they're going to put him to death. Chapter 7. End of chapter 7. He finishes his whole speech. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. It's not on the screen. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. So here's Stephen, who's embodied the teachings of Jesus, who's following in the model of Jesus, being stoned. And he says, I'm praying for those who are putting me to death. And one of the people that Stephen's praying for is a young man named Saul. Did you catch that? All these people who are stoning Stephen take off their garments and they throw him at a young man by the name of Saul. And Saul becomes a big time persecutor of the church. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This Saul has a Damascus road experience with the living Jesus Christ. You know this story? And this Saul becomes Paul, the apostle. One of the greatest proponents of Christianity. Who embodies the teachings of Jesus because he experienced the love of Jesus, not only from Stephen, but from Jesus Christ himself. And, and Paul takes this ethic and continues to teach it to the Christians of his day. This is Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 speaks about God's great love for us. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul picks this up and says, here's the story that I experienced, that we all experienced, is that Christ reconciled us when we were his enemies. You see, this teaching that Jesus has for his disciples is the way in which Jesus came to save his enemies. This is how Jesus treated those who opposed him. He gave up his life for them. And so here Paul picks this up and says, God demonstrates his love for us while we were enemies he laid down his life. And then later on in chapter 12, he picks up this same passage, the same teaching of Jesus in which we are responsible for loving those who hate us. That's what he says, love those who hate us. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Does that not just sound like the, the words of Jesus? So here's Jesus' teachings, then Jesus' model, which carries on to the disciples, that transform people like Paul. And now Paul is teaching the principles of the kingdom, which is upside down to the world that we live in. But this is the way we live, and this is the way in which evil is overcome. Overcome evil, Jesus says, with good. It's a false dichotomy to think in our minds. Unless we repay violence for violence, evil will override us. That's not true. The way of the kingdom is by sacrificial love. To do good, that's actionable. To give blessing with our words. And to pray for those who abuse us. That's the kingdom ethic. Now if you're in this room thinking, okay, I I love the idea. That just doesn't work in the real world. You have all these objections like, well, then what about the purpose of the judicial system? What's the purpose of law enforcement? How about militaries? Is there a right to go to war? Can you serve in the military? Those are all really, really good questions. And here's my invitation to you. That's the conversation that I'm going to have this week with Pastor Jay on our weekly podcast. So if you jump onto the weekly this week, we'll probably release it by Wednesday. We're going to have that conversation. If you have a specific question of how enemy love works in your real life, I would just send it to theweekly at CowardBible.com. That's just an email address. You can just email theweekly at CowardBible.com. And we're going to address and talk about some of those objections. But this is the principle. I just want to get you on the right path moving forward. That Jesus teaches his disciples this kingdom ethic. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not curse those who curse you. Overcome evil with good. Do good. Bless and pray. Give mercy because your Father in heaven has been merciful to you. We're simply giving what we have received. And so my original question was this. Is it possible to be a Christian and love in such a way as that you'll have no one hate you? No. It's not possible. In fact, if no one opposes you as a Christian... You're probably in the category of false prophet, as Jesus described. But knowing that people will oppose you, how then shall you respond? In kind? No. In mercy. In mercy. And that's how we magnify who our God is. That's how we magnify who our God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you saw me as a dirty, rotten sinner, and you did not give me what I deserved. I thank you that you saw us as a community of people that were once considered enemies, and you did not give us what we deserved. But in mercy, you came, and in mercy, you died, and in mercy, you overcame so that you would give all who would turn to you forgiveness and life. And so, Father, as hard as this teaching is, would you unleash a community of believers here locally to love the world like Christ loved us? Father, may we change the perception of Christians in our local communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods, As we respond, not as we've been treated, but in the way that we've been treated by you. And so, Father, give us the strength to be like our Savior, Jesus. To be like other Christians who have gone before us, like Stephen and like Paul. And Lord, may we give up our life, be willing to give up our life for the kingdom of God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.